Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine. We're living in a golden age of pretty mystery, and the world is so much more delicious for it. The Juhu Beach Club chef, cookbook author, and podcaster, among other things, can currently be seen teaching kids and puppets alike about the marvelous universe of herbs and spices on the Netflix show Waffles and Mochi, heard on their new podcast Loading Dock Talks in conversation with food and justice activists, read on their super feisty and smart social media feeds, and channeled via their vibrant and joyful recipes and spice blends. Mystery joined Communal Table from among the California Redwoods to talk about thoughtful representation, who gets to be called a chef, how to monetize talent, and why joy is so essential. Thanks to you, I have been doing the Pani Puri dance in my kitchen. Oh, I love it. I, the Pani Puri dance. It's so good. Okay, so I, while I was prepping for this, I had watched most of Waffles and Mochi, but it was actually saving your episode as a treat because when I saw that you were going to be on it, I, my husband will attest, I shrieked with joy. <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm going to have this as a moment of sunshine. And then uh, once I realized we were going to be talking to each other, I wanted to see it. And uh, thanks to you, kids all over the world are going to be doing the Pani Puri dance, probably a lot of adults as well. So that's, I, how, do you, uh, how, do you, how do you feel about being like up there with like Grover? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the puppets. Um, and, you know, I've always been kind of a performer, so I definitely did some like learning how to do basic puppetry when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of, a lot of people describe me as like a big kid. So, <laughs> like, I feel like it kind of, you know, it, it feels really natural to me. A lot of our friends who have little kids, we don't have kids, but um, a lot of our friends have we kids don't in either. sort of four to seven range. Um, and I feel like I'm always the adult when there's like a gathering that like the four-year-old walks up to and is like, Hey, pretty, want to go play Hot Wheels? It's like they looked at all the adults <laughs> and like assessed them, and were like, "This one." <laughs> you've, you've, you, I, and I know they're not Muppets technically, but like I, I say this with every bit of love in my heart. You've got big Muppet energy. Oh, <laughs> thank you. And again, I say this as a very like sort of puppet-oriented person. My husband is a big dancing human Muppet, and mm-hmm. uh, is and and uh, you know can do all those. He, he he sort of has a party trick where he dances like like uh, like a Muppet, or like Kermit with the hands together and stuff. And we've been <laughs> watching a lot of old episodes and stuff. But I to to back up for a second, I got way ahead of myself. You are on Waffles and Mochi, which is the coolest show going right now. And yeah. I, I would love to talk about how that all came together and, you know, what, what say you got and what you were going to talk about because you hit herbs and spices. Mm-hmm. Herbs and spices, indeed. You know, um, they contacted me, the producers, um, actually, it was like the fall of 2019, um and gosh what's been happening since then (laughs) right (laughs) yeah so uh just to be clear i think that this has already been said in some other places but the whole uh show was shot pre-pandemic um i we shot that in like i think january or february oh wow just as stuff was about to happen yeah yeah um who knew uh how much things would change (laughs) um you 
know, and I think that kind of delayed them putting it out there because it's so, there's just so much joy. And I think that, you know, the timing of that, you wouldn't want to do that when everybody's in this like place of, you know, despair and sorrow. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I was, of course, I was just super honored to uh, be asked to be a part of it. And then we sort of talked through with some of the producers, like, you know, it wasn't like they totally clear that I would be herbs and spices. So we just kind of talked through a few different ingredients. Like they had the whole concept, obviously, of the show. Um, and then we sort of settled on herbs and spices because it just made the most sense for what I am kind of known for in my cooking style in general. And also for merchandise that you have, just want to plug the merch here because I, <laughs> your spice, your spice blends are some of the coolest out there, and I love the tins as well. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. I saw a friend of mine posted um, <laughs> one of the tins the other day, and he uh, on Instagram and said something like, "I only buy spices with my friends' faces and the pride flag on them." <laughs> <laughs> this, okay, I was just thinking another friend of mine has a spice blend. He doesn't have a pride flag on there, but I'm sure he would happily put, put one on there. Um, Isaac Toops, that I wrote about him in the same piece uh -huh. that I wrote about your your spice blends in there too. And uh, you know, I love I love the whole show, but I love this episode in particular because, you know, hopefully, spoiler alert, folks, if you haven't watched it yet, I don't think this is going to destroy it for you. But uh, there is all of a sudden for a reason an absence of herbs and spices from the supermarket and. Everything goes to black and white. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> that. When they told me that was like kind of the concept of the show, I was like, oh my God, this is so awesome. Yeah. Um, because and yeah, it's the spice of life, you know? Well, <laughs> and this show is such a wonderful thing too. I mean, really, it's just, I was, I was talking with a previous guest, Sam Four, about mm -hmm. why this show is so wonderful. And I think like, gosh, if I'd had this as a kid, I, it just, it would have changed so many things. And I think, uh, uh, you know, especially, you know, and I'm a, I'm a white lady. If, if I, you know, imagine the little black and brown kids who are going to grow up seeing representation on their screens yeah. Yeah. and that's being, you know, showing into, throwing into sharp relief, the absence of that before in children's programming, mm -hmm. but here seen as, you know, the, the, you know, the very good and beautiful and normal and natural <laughs> thing that it is. I just think that, yeah, the show, I think uh, somebody uh, referred to it as effortlessly inclusive. And I think yeah. that that's the thing that really makes it so great is that um, it is so diverse and inclusive. And yet no one's like, you know, hey, hey, we're doing this. <laughs> you know, there isn't this like, you know, what can often feel like tokenization. Yes. Um, it just is. And I think that it's whether you're talking about the different types of people that are on the show or the food. Um, there's never any food that's like, oh, that's weird or gross or negative. You know, when Waffles takes some chili when they're in Italy, that's like a little too spicy for her. She's just kind of like, wow, that was cool. As opposed <laughs> to like having this like, you know, negative reaction. And I think that, you know, presenting food, whether it's about, I mean, my episode in particular, Herbs and Spices, it's like <laughs> the, the number two things that kids complain about is like, there's green stuff on it or it's too spicy. Um, <laughs> But in general, just, you know, when you show all these foods from different countries, that none of it is othered. Right. Um, all of it is just presented as as it is um, without a particular perspective like, oh, waffles and mochi are from America. And so they're going to have this certain perspective 
on Japanese food or Peruvian food. It's all just beautiful curiosity and excitement. Um, and, and nothing is valued more than anything else. And nothing yeah. is negative. Yeah, that's the thing. I, th I think there was like one episode where maybe one of the characters like didn't like the flavor more than the texture, and mm -hmm. but it wasn't evaluative. It was just like, oh, that's not for me, which is mm -hmm. you know a valuable perspective and things too, but not doing that sort of yuck thing. And I've you know I've been sort of thinking about uh, kids TV recently, you know, and especially in light of a, a piece that my colleague Mar Margaret Ebi just wrote about fat phobia and food mm. and remembering like a horrifying like schoolhouse rock kind of it wasn't schoolhouse rock but it was adjacent to it, the but bod buddies or something like that and i was watching this again like in the last couple of days and it's like it's the most fat phobic thing in the world and you know and i i'm just looking back at that and thinking like what the hell were they teaching us like right. yeah. you know and yeah. i and I think they're probably thinking like, oh, we're, you know, doing a good thing. But like, who are you harming in the process of this? And like, all I see from wa Waffles and Mochi, and sorry to get going on Waffles and Mochi so much, but I'm... I, <laughs> hey, I loved it. Oh, I, mean, <laughs> I saw, I mean, I'm kind of like in this, like, you know, I saw it a week or two before it um, came out because they gave us screeners for press and stuff. And, um, and I couldn't talk to anybody about it except for my <laughs> wife. But I was like, literally like, walking around the house constantly imitating mochi like i would just be like she would ask me a question and just be like meow, meow. <laughs> and um i actually was joking with erica who's one of the writers about she was like oh we could we should have you as an understudy for oh mochi. my gosh i like <laughs> so now you get mochified in an episode yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I just I couldn't yeah I was really obsessed like when I was sort of binge watching it every night to get through the whole season um and yeah I mean I was just laughing I would just laugh out loud like my wife falls asleep really early and so I'm just like up watching tv at seven <laughs> o'clock at night watching waffles and mochi just laughing my ass off um and singing along it's just like you just can't help it um, I did the blender dance along with like Jose Andres oh. <laughs> on there. and like my husband and I were both watching this and I think we both cried a little mm -hmm. just from the beauty of it all and you know and it was really special to me to see Michael Twitty who I have loved mm -hmm. for such a long time I just adore that man and really unflinchingly talking to kids about enslaved people and enslavement mm -hmm. and you know and and it was just you know it was it was matter of fact and it was honoring the intelligence of the kids yep. and and it was just you know a really really thoughtful thing that gave me you know I know it's it's had I assume like really huge ratings and I can only assume that means there's going to be more of this which is incredibly better for everyone I hope so I hope so and yeah I definitely uh the rice episode was one of my favorites mm. um aside you know of course I'm a little biased about my own, <laughs> well, my own. it's really um, good <laughs> but yeah I, I love that episode and I, I really appreciated the way he talked about it and the way that not only did he honor the kids intelligence but his uh, ancestry yes. to make it very clear that, you know, his great, great grandmother, it, it wasn't just, at, you know, this wasn't random. It was her knowledge yeah. um, and expertise and skill. Um, and, and the way that he honored that um, as well, because that's something that's been really sort of uh, obviously written out of history by people. who <laughs> Quite deliberately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
so um, I, I, I thought that was a beautiful episode. And then, of course, Mochi being in Japan and oh. becoming the star of <laughs> Japan and all that was just so good. Oh my gosh, I, I like I really want a little like mochi doll or something like that to just sit there and meet, meet at me. It's just very comforting and sweet. And I'd love to hear about you as a kid and your relationship with herbs and spices because as you said, like your food is so characterized by the like the you know the the joyful use of this. You had done a recipe uh, for us for an issue was that oh way back in like 2019 in the before times yeah, is it? Yeah. Wow, that is uh, that's rather a while ago. That you know, but it feels heavily, like literally a gazillion years ago. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it really that is so, my my, my <laughs> friend Jamila Robinson like, had a tweet go go viral, uh-huh. and uh, it said like when I'm talking about last year, I mean 2019. <laughs> like, and I think I got like over five hundred thousand like retweets or likes or something like that. But yes. Right? But way back when, you made a fish for us that was, I think, very herbal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it was inspired by a trip to Thailand that I had taken. Um, Yeah. There's a lot of lemongrass and fresh turmeric and fresh green peppercorns and stuff like that. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think for me as a kid, you know, speaking about like not othering, um, you know, I grew up eating... spicier food than most kids and um also you know there was plenty of green stuff I mean my mom was always putting you know some cilantro on top of the dal (laughs) or what have you although don't ever put it on the rice like I did that once my mom was like like, nah no not that's not a kid (laughs) rules (laughs) the rules they're extremely important right yeah it was uh my my dad um is an anesthesiologist and when he was on call um my mom would take him, oh, he has to stay at the hospital overnight. And so my mom would make and take him like a full Gujarati dinner, um, which is just a really cute story aside, which is that I used to, when I was a teenager and getting into the whole feminism, I was like, why do you do this? Like, why don't you just <laughs> let him get a slice of pizza or like whatever subway? And she looked at me and she goes, because I love him. And I was like, oh, I'm the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> A very gentle lesson. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, but one day I was like, I think it was when I was actually visiting um, after I left home, and she's like, come on, we're going to go take Dad's food and hang out with him in his little call dorm room. Um, And and I was, like, putting it all in the Tupperware containers, and I sprinkled some cilantro on the rice, and she came downstairs from getting changed and was like, what did you do? (laughs) No, that's not what happens. Um, But, yeah, so I grew up, I mean – my parents, I'm also a Gen Xer, so like things Same. I think change a little bit for some of my younger cousins who grew up in, mm-hmm. you know, were born in the 80s and 90s. But like for me, like uh, in the 70s and early 80s, like my parents didn't modify anything for us. Mm-hmm. Like there was no like, oh, we made a slightly, you know, less spicy version for you. Here's like, your chicken fingers, order. kid. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there was no, yeah, it was like we grew up with if, if you, you don't have to like it, you just have to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, and my mom didn't hold back and, you know, I mean, they would even order pizza and they'd get pickled jalapenos on it. I'd be like, it's so spicy. And I'd be like <laughs> picking them off. <laughs> um, Were you allowed to do that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was fine. But, um, but you know, I mean, come on, it's pickled jalapeno. Like the residual spiciness is still on the pizza. <laughs> that's like, a, that's a um, good kid level of spice too. Like, yeah, cause yeah, yeah, you do still get that, that pickle in there. Mm-hmm. Just, and that's an early lesson also in like flavor combinations that everything needs acid. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. 
Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I grew up eating plenty of spicy food and obviously lots of herbs and green stuff, whether it was cilantro or mint or fenugreek or curry leaves. Um, I remember, um, like, there's some things that my mom puts in the dot. Like, there's this thing uh, called kokum nuful, um, and it's like a souring agent. Um, I think it's a mango flower. Um, and, uh, it's like a dried, uh, souring agent and, but there'd be things like that or like a big black cardamom pod or something. Mm -hmm. And I would like (laughs) get it in my spoon and I'd be like, do I have to eat this? (laughs) I remember seeing a meme And my mom would be like, no. It's like I, a bay leaf, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I, I saw a meme about that recently. Something about like you know having to like you know were you even like you know a, you know a, a kid like a you know you know like first gen kid or something if you didn't have to pick these things out or mm-hmm. something like the, the hard pods and stuff. Right? Yeah, because I'm being told like you don't have to like it, you just have to eat it. But then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, this too? <laughs> <laughs> Like, and then my mom's like, no, 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 you don't have to eat that. <laughs> and pretty uh, suddenly in the hospital for eating like an anise pod or, or like right? a, a star anise <laughs> or something like that. Because, you know, I've definitely been that kid because, you know, I grew up, you know, with my, my white dad making Indian foods. But we didn't know because he wanted to try this. He knew these were flavors that he loved. He'd seen stuff uh-huh. on TV. He bought Mother Jeffrey mm-hmm. cookbooks and stuff. And so we would get these things. But, like, we didn't grow up with the rules. So I was sitting there, like, crunching on the pods and didn't know if I was supposed to eat yeah. them or not. We just, we just didn't know. And sometimes you get used to it. I mean, now, like, you know, I'll put, like, I don't realize, like, sometimes, like, I'll eat a whole clove or a cardamom mm-hmm. pod when I'm, like, you know, because I'll put them in biryani a lot of times, mm-hmm. put that in the rice to kind of season it. Um, and and I, sometimes I'm, like, oh, and then other times I don't even notice, but I'm, like, I think I just ate it. <laughs> clove with all that rice and chicken and everything else in my bite you know what if i i think whatever doesn't kill us right now is just great and good so while you're growing up like eating this you know incredible food and uh you know and clearly like growing up with you know a mom who cares about food did it occur to you that you know that this was something you'd want to do for a living never (laughs) Um, I, you know, I'm the youngest of three girls, so Mm -hmm. I was not, uh, I didn't have to help in the kitchen. Like my oldest sister was like, by the time she was eight years old, it was like, get in there and help your mom or your aunts or whatever. Um, and you know, being masculine of center, I didn't really look at my mom as someone I wanted to be like, Mm -hmm. I I looked at my dad. So, uh, for me, I never really thought about cooking. I just like, I like eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super curious. Like I was yes. really curious about everything. Like, you know, I used to get so bored with the amazingly delicious <laughs> and varied from scratch Gujarati dinner my mother would make every oh, single gosh. night um, because I wanted to try other things. Like I would like right. watch, you know, you watch TV, you watch movies, you talk to mm-hmm. your friends, you get these like, oh, like the foldouts from the grocery store where there'd be like these pictures of like cheeseburgers or hot dogs or fried chicken. And I'm just like, right. what is, I want to try all this stuff. Um, you know, my, my mom's a vegetarian. So, um, and my dad's pretty much just like eats chicken and mm-hmm. lamb if it's like cooked Indian style, but he's not going to like quarter lamb chops at a French restaurant. Um, make it spicy and he'll eat it uh, <laughs> pretty much. She's like, shish kebab. Great. And w- will um, she cook meat for him? Um, no, she, I mean, I think the only thing we ever really have in the house is, uh, chicken. 
and my dad she used to make it for him and for us back in the day mm -hmm. um but now my dad um thinks he's crafty and wants to get in there and he's like this is my chicken curry um, <laughs> which means that like my mom basically preps everything and he like puts it together and then he like goes and sits in the living room and watches tv and she like pays attention to it but it's his chicken curry <laughs> <laughs> let the man have it sure yeah yeah um but no my mom but my mom was fine with us cooking meat or bringing meat in the house like you know we would have mm -hmm. like I mean, it was never, it was always like this big difference because like she didn't know how to cook American food or non-Indian right, yeah. food. So it would be like, you know, she makes all this stuff from scratch and then it would be like my older sister would like make us manwich. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is this adventure or rebellion? I think it's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it was a lot of it was curiosity as well. Like yeah, I remember yeah. uh, as young as like the early 80s, we lived in Pittsburgh, we just lived in like a little two, three bedroom basement apartment. And we were like, we want to try meatloaf. Yeah. Because it was like this thing in the, you know, in, the, in all those sitcoms, it was always like, oh, meatloaf again. And we were like, <laughs> what is this meatloaf thing? We need to try this thing. And my poor vegetarian mother, like, found a recipe, like, in the newspaper um, and made meatloaf for us. <laughs> That's really, okay, did she put her own spin on it, though? It was gross. No, I don't, I don't think she did. It was it was gross. We never asked for it again. Um, I mean, I as an adult and professional have made a, a few meatloafs that I think are quite tasty. Um, but you know, my mom didn't know what she was doing, but she she went for it. Um, she cooks with love for people yeah, she loves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the only thing she nef definitely would never the two things she doesn't like in the house are like any fish and seafood or bacon because mm -hmm. of the smell because okay. for her that smell is like a lot to handle as a vegetarian yeah it's there's something about bacon smell that's really pervasive and just mm -hmm. kind of i think it's like traveling in like micro whatever particles or something in exactly. a way that other yeah. foods don't quite and and most of us are like, mm, yeah, bacon. <laughs> Woo, I'm excited. And my mom's like, ugh, what is that awful smell? <laughs> I don't want to smell that. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, um, the aforementioned colleague, Margaret, uh, was uh, was saying her boyfriend, who, you know, they live together, is a vegetarian. And he was complaining recently. She doesn't cook much meat in the house out of respect mm -hmm. for her. And because she's just kind of learned, like, oh, you know what? This is actually how I like to eat, too. But she made bacon, and he was just not having it. And, you know, but we, we adjust for the people that we love. And, mm -hmm. and we've been... You know, a lot of those, who, those of us who are quarantined, you know, with a partner, with a family, whatever, like we're spending a lot of time with those people and learning many, many things about what they will and will not tolerate and eat and smell and all that. That is very true. Yes. Very true. But my, also, they have a, um, like my dad has gotten into like wanting to cook more fish. And so yeah. um, they'll do it. He'll do it on like a little electric thing in the oh. garage. <laughs> something really endearing about that but my my grandfather apparently my, my grandmother wouldn't allow my grandfather to eat limburger cheese inside mm -hmm. so he'd have to go out to the backyard you know and i i don't know i find these things really charming but so so if you're you're there and you're you're enjoying eating mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily like you know watching your mom cook and you know and i will say like my mother was not a great cook but the meatloaf was the one thing that she cooked that i really did yeah. actually like so it was like kind there of a go. reverse thing um 
but you know, so I didn't so much really grow up like watching her cook, but uh, so you're, you're eating, you're doing this. So what was the switch that flipped for you? Um, you know, I would tinker around with some things, but ultimately it was moving away. It was yeah. like moving, you know, moving out of the house, which I did like promptly at 18 and, <laughs> Same. Um, and you know, then Anne and I moved to San Francisco and, uh, I didn't, I got, you know, I got bored. Like we, you know, we didn't have a ton of money. I was like in college. We're both in yeah. our early twenties. Um, and so like all we could really afford was, was like slices and burritos. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I just started missing, you know, that when you grow up as much as you're like, Oh, no, yeah. like Darbat wrote shock again. Um, <laughs> this is glorious to me. Uh, yeah. Um, we have a hashtag DBRS. Um, that I started to crave that home cooking and so I just started cooking Um, and you know between the two of us we had a few cookbooks and we just started we were both vegetarians um, and I just started cooking stuff and it lo and behold it kind of came naturally to me and um, people really liked it so I just kept doing it what were the cookbooks um, there was definitely, I feel like a Deborah Madison vegetarian yeah, book. Yeah. Um, William Sonoma had a vegetarian, uh, cookbook. It was an old, uh, Italian book that Anne had. I can't remember what it was. The name was, uh, Molly Katzen. Oh yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, some newer things, like I think there was one, oh, I became obsessed with Martha Stewart hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> Just any in particular, and what was the fascination? I mean, once I started cooking for the two of us, and we both liked it, we started cooking for our friends and mm-hmm. entertaining. And so um, I don't know if you've heard this in particular in the astrological uh, world, but Leos and Libras are really great entertainers. I am married. To, I'm a Leo married to a Leo. There you go. Well, so you guys are probably just... (laughs) We enjoy it. We have missed it over this past year plus. And my parents are the same, Libra and Leo. Um, Wait, are you the Leo or the Libra? Libra, Libra, yeah. Okay. Yeah, me and my mom. Um, And uh, so we just start having parties and Anne just like immediately like is like, okay, here's the decor, here's the flowers. (laughs) I bought these cute plates from the vintage store yeah that like, sounds like us know, oh, I made place cards um oh yeah I found these cute like placemats at you know whatever community thrift here's what um, I'm wearing yeah exactly like our outfits are coordinated um and oh and we would like we were like little adults we were so hilarious like we would like tell people they had to dress up um we would even tell them give them suggestions of what wines they should oh. bring that would that would pair well with with the meal. Um, Blessings to our sweet young pretentious selves. Where we, where we <laughs> right, do, like um, playing. Yeah, playing now I'm like up. everybody come over. I'll like make a pizza on the grill and we'll have some <laughs> cider. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's much more chill being an actual adult than when you're sort of learning to be one and taking yeah. on those steps. And but we loved it. I mean, we loved it so much. I mean, I have friends that still tell me like so. We did in 1999 to 2000 New Year's Eve. Um, we did a 10 courses to the millennium. Um, and 
I cooked all of, I can't even remember how anything <laughs> I made. Um, oh, I, I, well, this is the one thing I remember is that we were also obsessed with um, vintage fondue pots. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> and so we started and ended because we were like, oh, we got to, like, mix it up. So, like, the first thing when everybody arrived, we had a savory fondue, a cheese fondue. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last thing, because it's like you get bored sitting at the table for so long, everybody stood up and we had a chocolate fondue where you could walk around <laughs> and dip and, you know. Um, but, I, yeah, I have friends who still remember that evening. Um so yeah, we were pretty into it, which was also really weird at that time because this was like 20 years ago yeah. and um, 20 years ago, 20 somethings were not like having dinner parties. Like cooking wasn't something that was like cool like it is now. Right. <laughs> like it was really That's... like random. Like we my were like that. <laughs> yeah, my 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 friends and I who were sort of really into food, we would we would do that. And uh, but yeah, I, I gather I, I think a lot of my friends wanted to just kind of like go out and drink at the bar and stuff. And I, mm -hmm. you know, and I love a good cocktail and all that kind of of stuff. But I kind of would generally rather, you know, I, I remember like actually at that period, like especially in the late '90s, being like super fussy and pretentious about cocktails. So I would have these little cocktail parties at my house, mm -hmm. and you know, and again we were sort of you know playing grown up and stuff but like really I remember buying all these cocktail books there was a lot of sort of like neo cocktail culture happening yeah yeah late 90s that sort of martini yeah. it was all about the martinis and yeah Manhattans and and um, you know which I still you know <laughs> love these things very much but it's you know to the point in the pandemic where like my husband and I each have our go-to cocktail that is really pretty simple <laughs> and <laughs> You know, and we don't even drink cocktails anymore. Like I can't even remember. Like, aside from like some, you know, rum in our eggnog over mm -hmm. the holidays, like we're both just like, like we're both talk about it. Like we're like, oh, one of these days we're gonna have a cocktail <laughs> out in the world somewhere. That'd be so nice. But like here, we're just like, yeah, just drink some beer. We'll have a glass of wine. <laughs> like it's easy. <laughs> I think if it weren't for the fact that like I have a gut condition and stuff, and my my husband's isn't great either, where we can't just can't really drink wine so much, mm. and we're both not beer people. I think otherwise we'd probably just be doing we we would be doing that. And ah, uh, though actually, I just got my second dose of the vaccine uh, earlier this week. I'm Congrats. still. Thank you. I'm still a little groggy from it, but I went, uh, first of all, right to my dispensary after that I hadn't been to in a year. I'm legal mm -hmm. in the state of New York. <laughs> and then I went to the wine store and bought some, uh, some like just freezing cold Lambrusco and it poured nice. myself a glass out of, out of this. So yeah, I think we're all going to be those, again, the, you were saying those things you took for granted as a kid, those meals that you had in those flavors. Mm -hmm. I am so excited to, you know, in, in a couple of weeks, I'll be able to like roam about the cabin some more yeah, and yeah and really treasure those things i haven't gotten to do for a while you know and it's, it's I'm amazing it's like yeah. we just like uh we just joined the new csa up here mm -hmm. in sonoma and it's about 15 20 minutes from here our house um in an area that is a little bit more populous than where we live um and so we got sushi my wife loves sushi and she hasn't had it since like August. Mm. Uh, <laughs> right. And so it was like this big thing, but it was like this moment, like, oh my God, we're going to like get our box and then we're going to like <laughs> take out sushi and go home and eat sushi. It's so exciting. Um, and yeah, the, the level of sort of like, you know, appreciation for that. 
um, is so much higher. I was like, honey, I'm sorry. That's just like one of the things I'm not even going to try to fuck around with. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. There, are, there are some things that, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stay in my herbs and spices lane, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we, we ran a beautiful uh, piece recently about like making your own uh, beef tartare at home mm -hmm. and stuff. And like, and that's one of those things where I was like, oh, you know what? It hadn't occurred to me to do that. Like, you know, maybe this is a hurdle that I overcome, like sort of my own terror of, you know, screwing anybody up or, you know, mm -hmm. or my own, my own body up or whatever. But now I'm kind of like, you know what? We've just been through this and like, there are much worse things to be scared of. So maybe I will give this <laughs> a shot. I love tartare. I mm. love beef tartare. And I just, yeah. I haven't like, had it in so long. Yeah. Yeah. I make and, a really good lamb tartare. Oh, I want that. I want that right now. <laughs> like, And that's the thing is like each of these things feels so novel to me because I haven't yeah. gotten to have it for such a long time. And, you know, and we've been all, you know, living in this particular way. And I want to get to where you are now, but I want to close the loop on how you went from then, you know, throwing these parties to deciding to to make your living doing this. Well, I mean, basically, my wife and who was my girlfriend at the time mm -hmm. um, and all of our close friends were like, you should go to culinary school. Mm -hmm. um, and or actually, she kept telling me that. And then some other friend told me that. And then I was like, I'm going to go to culinary school. And she was like, um, <laughs> I've been telling you that forever. Oh, my. And at that point, um, that was kind of the way forward. Like, you know, it like at that particular point, it was like you go to culinary school, like, uh -huh. you know, and, and that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was uh, 2001. Yeah. Um, very much a time for that. So, um, yeah, it was just like, you know, I guess I'm going to do this. And then it just happened that she got this opportunity with her work um, to move to London. Oh, wow. Um, Love and that so city. Miss that that's city. Where <laughs> I ended up going to culinary school. Um, yeah. I love that oh. city. I was born there. Oh, uh, my God. It's <laughs> I so. Dual citizenship. Um, it's such a special, special place. And like of the places that are absolutely tugging at my heart and my passport, that is right there, right there at the top. I interviewed Nigella Lawson earlier this week. She'll be the episode after this. Yeah. And it was just making me miss London and, uh, and actually a lot of the UK so, so much. And I hope mm -hmm. they bounce back from this. <laughs> me too. I have a couple, uh, cousins with quotes so they're not um technically family but yeah. their father and mother are like extended family siblings to my parents um and when ann and i moved to london in 2002 um they we call them our london mom and dad um, and uh, they, they had two daughters that were like teenagers then but now they're like in their early 30s like late mm -hmm. 20s early 30s and they live together um in bermondsey and we stayed with them at their flat the last time we were there. I think we actually made, yeah, we were there in 2019. Um, and they're so hilarious. They are so hilarious. And they love food and drinks and all the things. And so we had such a good time just like eating and drinking our way through London with the two of them. And I was joking with one of them and on messaging on Instagram and saying that I should have the two of them on um the podcast, my, my new podcast, like every so often, just to like check in on the London dining scene. And just the, the two of them are so hilarious. Um, 
that it would be really amusing because they make me laugh. Well, and, <laughs> and the I think London, they make other people laugh too. Well, and the London dining scene has changed. I started going to London in the late 90s and mm -hmm. the way the culinary scene has changed there is just it, it, it it's it's kind of going from black and white to color again. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. and and seeing people actually appreciate the agricultural bounty that the UK has. It's such a tremendous thing, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the wake of Brexit mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. you know, what is, this is going to mean for food. But at the time when you were studying there, what did what did this look like for you? What did culinary school look like? Um, well, first of all, it was a big learning curve because mm -hmm. um, even though I was like the best cook amongst my friends, mm -hmm. um, you know, some people go to culinary school after they've already been working somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then uh, also, like, I didn't know anything about European cuisine. Yeah. Like, I remember once, like, I used to work at a film arts organization um, before I went to culinary school because I wanted to be a filmmaker. And uh, I remember going into the executive director's office one day and being like, what's frise? <laughs> but um because i didn't grow up with any of that stuff so yes it was like i didn't you know they all these people they knew what all a lot of these terms were yeah. um and they grew up in you know eating all these different you know proteins and stuff that i just didn't know anything about um and then the pastry was also challenging because i hadn't done really done any yeah. baking so i'd kind of learned so hard <laughs> yeah i i was there's the programs in three parts. There's basic, intermediate, and superior, which is hilarious that they call it that. Because superior. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd say, like, maybe halfway through intermediate pastry, I got, like, up to speed with everybody mm -hmm. else. But, like, the first, like, the whole first section, and I was just like, oh, God, I'm never going to get this. I really tried to convince my parents after basic pastry. I was like, maybe I just need to do basic pastry, and I'll just do the full, like, you know, savory side. And they were like just do the whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, but, you know, the London dining scene at the same time, you know, this is probably, you know, it's 2002, so not that far off from what you said from your experience in the late 90s. Um, it was, what my takeaway initially was there's great food in London, but you need money. Yeah. Um, and, and, and what I what I felt coming from San Francisco was there's great food in San Francisco at every price range. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really changed in the last 20 years. Um, I think now you do have a lot more casual mid range restaurants making, you know, as they would say, proper food mm -hmm. um, uh, than you did in the early 2000s. Um, and and the, uh, the one place I found that was like one of my faves was Borough Market. Um, yes. And at that time, it was like not the glitz and glamour that it is now. It was just <laughs> like a stripped down, like under the train station um, situation. Um, and I would go there like all the time on Fridays or Saturdays and get the, the chorizo sandwich from Brindisa. Uh, there was this venison sausage sandwich I would get from one of the meat um, purveyors with like horseradish mustard that just like blew your head off. It was my like hangover uh, meal. Like work <laughs> really late and then party at, at the you know I was working in restaurants in Soho. Um, like wake up 
and force myself. So we lived in um, close to central London. And so I just wake up and just like walk all the way across the Blackfriars Bridge or the Millennium Bridge. Yeah. I love <laughs> to walking Borough in Market, get that venison sausage sandwich. <laughs> Wake yourself up. Like, yeah, exactly. And just like, okay, now I feel normal again. Right. Um, <laughs> those things that bring you back to feeling human, those those sensations are, are so, mm -hmm. I'm really trying to, you know, as we're having this, you know, somewhat re-entry to the world, like really stop and and have those moments of kind of noticing those you know the smells the taste the all those kind of things and reacclimating myself to being you know out there in, mm -hmm. in in the world i feel like one of my dogs who is like you know always sniffing things and <laughs> the world is new every You're time like, what's this what's this <laughs> yeah yeah and just really having that and you know and during this i've been growing you know I, i'm always a pretty intense gardener but never mm -hmm. more than now and just like really trying to you know get to know every single thing that i'm i'm growing in this really like almost creepy kind of way with all the sniffing mm. i'm doing and <laughs> i want to think plants like that i think they yeah. like a little like you know cuddle a little yeah. interaction i name them i <laughs> do all these things i name my my curry leaf plant is named after my uh, my dad's mother my ba uh kiki ben um i want her name is Lol lalita but everybody called her kiki ben so that's that's what um our curry leaf plant is I was looking at curry leaf seedlings and mm. thinking, is that something uh, that I, I want to do next? And so I, I may do that. <laughs> and But I want to get back to something you said about sort of how Eurocentric the uh, curriculum was mm -hmm. at, at your school. And this is still pervasive, I feel yeah. like, at, you know, at, at cooking schools. And I'm wondering, like... You know, in in this time, you know, especially over, or, you know, over the past year and stuff like how, you know, at how cooking schools have taken a look at themselves and mm -hmm. sort of realize what needs to be dismantled there. I know some of them because, you know, that I am you know heavily invested in, you know, mental health in the culinary world, that yeah. some of them are employing uh, more sort of health and mental health programming. Where do you see it going with with schools? Do you think that is something that is going to change? I mean, I would love to see more, you know, just more opportunities for people to learn different types of cuisine. Um, I know that, um, do you know Chef Roe, young black woman chef? I think she just got hired at CIA. Yes, yeah. Oh, yes, um, yes. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I remember seeing that on Instagram and being like, okay, here we go, yeah. you know, a little something. Um, and, you know, I think that it's so hard because I'm also just old in a way where I'm like, well, whatever, this <laughs> is how it is. Like, because, you yeah. know, the concern obviously is, you know, I knew friends who went to culinary school here in like San Francisco and they were like, oh yeah, we learned sushi and this yeah. and that. And I'm like, oh, I didn't learn any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but then my concern always goes to like, okay, but how did they learn about it? And what did they learn? And was it like really, you know, did it, was it some bastardized version basically? And is um, this like, here's our specialized unit. Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. is this our specialized unit on this? And it, again, like you said, otherized, like here's like, oh, here's our normal curriculum. And then today is whatever right. day, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that the best thing is, I mean, you know, Jody at San Francisco cooking school does a pretty awesome job. 
and mm -hmm. she brings in a, I know she's asked me and we've talked about it um, in the past but you know hey this past year um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, you know where, where she does I think a really good job of bringing in professionals who are an expert in their particular field um, and so I think models like that are probably gonna be the better thing uh, more than anything but I mean the one thing I would like to add in addition to mental health yeah. in uh, culinary schools is basic restaurant equipment maintenance and repair oh yes they never teach you any of that stuff and if you only work at really big places then something breaks and it's like oh go call engineering and then <laughs> there you are in your 40 seat restaurant in a strip mall in oakland and you're like i don't fuck i'm you're paying somebody 150 dollars to come tell you you should have cleaned out your compressor um <laughs> Yeah. And that's why your fridge is getting warm. And, so, you know, so it's like it, for me, I feel like when I opened Juhu, it was a lot of trial and error in the beginning of paying some guy way too much money to come and do something basic. And then I'm like, oh, I can do that myself. So if I had had that kind of knowledge um, and training to know whether it's like, you know, oh, the, the you know, there's something wrong with the Vitamix. No, it's just overheated. Like, let it sit. It'll be mm -hmm. fine. Like, it's not broken. Um, all of those kinds of things. Oh, the RoboCoo's not working. Oh, there's a reset button. I don't know. Just all these. I mean, some of those things you learn, right? Because if the, you're working in a restaurant and you're like, chef, why isn't the RoboCoo working? And they show you <laughs> the, the reset button. But, you know, when it's a fridge or a gas stove or, you know, the pilots on all of these different ovens and, like, all this stuff and 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 also this thing that you need to do like to make sure things stay maintained um the preventative care um i think is something that is would be really valuable and also i always think financial literacy too or mm -hmm. restaurant restaurant math all that kind of stuff because i know there is some of that but mm -hmm. you know it's more of more of the business section of this i think we're opening a school here <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I uh, early-ish in my career, um, in 2006-7, I got a job as the executive chef of the De Young Museum and the Legion of Honor, and that basically, like my boss, who was the general manager, um, she basically taught me everything about the financial side of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was all of a sudden running a $7 million operation. Goodness. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and I was 30. Uh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so, um, you know, so she would sit down with me and teach me all the stuff about how to read a P&L and how to do this and that. And we were just like the, you know, when we took it over, the the people before us were like losing money, um, hemorrhaging, in fact. Um, and and we, you know, course corrected um, and got our food costs and labor costs in line. And, and she taught me all of that and was just, like, really patient. And then I was like, okay, I got this. Um, I understand how it works. And that is and that is knowledge that can be passed on. And, and, and I feel like I've, I've seen so much knowledge sharing uh, during mm -hmm. this time as, as people have been able to, you know, have some time away from 
from their restaurants and you know sadly from from life and and mm -hmm. all that and and but people making kind of dropping the barriers to a lot of this knowledge and i've also seen and this is something that really heartens me is that i've seen people go through a reckoning of you know what is a chef because mm -hmm. they're because chefs have existed right you know oh, especially without restaurants and i'm really hoping that we can carry that notion beyond this that you don't have to be you know cooking in a brick and mortar place mm -hmm. to still be considered a chef i'd love to hear kind of what you're yeah. thinking with there i'm um, did you have you listened to the first episode of my i haven't podcast? gotten to hear it yet oh, tell me so funny because asha okay. and, so asha gomez and oh, i and my dream first episode, girl i love uh, her yes love her um we actually talked about this because you know she has this event space the third space yes um and she hated the restaurant industry the traditional restaurant I industry i did love her restaurant i have to say i got together and have <laughs> sure. the carol I the mean, carola chicken and cook. waffles were amazing yeah but it doesn't but her food is not restrained to like this brick and mortar place necessarily yeah and i think that for me you know the last couple years um has really been that struggle i mean when i closed both the restaurants mm -hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily have a plan, Yeah, you know, of like what I was going to do. Like it wasn't lined up. Um, and you know, because we closed Juhu intentionally and then mm -hmm. Nubby was just a bad location and yeah. you know, the people who came were loved it, but just weren't enough of them. Yeah. Um, and then I just had no place. Um, I'm like, okay, what does that mean? And you know, like, yeah. who am I without Juhu? That's um, the thing. It's like that identity crisis. I've seen so yeah. many people go through over this past year, sort of asking, like, you know, who am I in, you know, outside of this thing? Like the the sort of emotional, uh, you know, thing where you close your restaurant and then there's the, you know, who am I if because like you get rewarded in a restaurant for being a robot in a lot of ways for doing, you know, for almost tossing your your yourself the thing that mm -hmm. makes you who you are out the window that is, you know, in previously existing restaurant structures that was a thing that was lauded and rewarded you are part of a, a machine, and yeah. suddenly, yeah. you know what you know how how did you reconcile this with yourself? Well, it's funny that you say that about the machine because I think uh, near the end of juhu i was working so much that like my wife literally was like okay so here's the deal you might be superhuman but you're not <laughs> a machine yeah yeah um, like you you're gonna like something's gonna break yeah. um and you know i feel like you know for a long time i was i was pretty bummed um yeah and, and then i i just kind of did the work emotionally um and I feel like this pandemic has really helped people see so much about the unsustainability of the restaurant industry. And also that, you know, it's different for different people with different sorts of resources. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I was talking to someone earlier, my co-producer worked in fine dining. Um, and we were talking about the chef that I won't mention. Um, and she was like, well, he was like barely even in the kitchen ever. Um, and, so, you know, when you talk about Michelin-starred restaurants and their ability, those chefs' ability to stay focused and creative because they have the resources to, um, to, to not have to perform like a machine. Yeah. Um, the luxury very, of humanity. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's very different than when you're talking about a mid-range casual restaurant. Um, 
where the most expensive menu item is like 35 bucks. Yeah. Um, and it serves two, <laughs> um, our lamb biryani. But, you know, so for me, I feel like, I, I, you know, I did, I mean, I was trying to open another Juhu. Like that was the plan was like, okay, it's got to be bigger, more seats because 40 seats is just like an unsustainable number. Um, just, you know, we were busy. We were like doing 130 covers Friday, Saturday night. Um, which is a lot in a 40 seat restaurant, especially in Oakland, because we don't, you know, nobody goes out after like nine 30. Um, it's not like New York. <laughs> and, um, I mean, I literally would get home from work at the same time as some of my friends in New York, <laughs> like, I'd be, like texting them like, yeah, I just got home too. Cause I get home at like 11. So we actually just put up a, a story today from a restaurateur friend of mine uh, in in New York, and he's begging people to come and eat at five thirty so they can turn the so they can turn the table and actually stay around. Yeah, yeah. Instead of people showing up at nine, um, but yeah, they'll show up at five thirty in Oakland. Uh, wow. <laughs> that that would kind of be his dream because he was saying his his issue is everybody wants the seven fifteen uh, seating yeah, yeah. they don't want to eat midweek and stuff and he's like I will love you forever if you come to see me at five thirty on a Wednesday. So, that's hilarious. That's yeah, a great and, pitch. He if you can read it on foodandwine dot com right now actually yeah. as a but like embracing the early bird special because uh, he needs to he needs that second turn yeah. um, just because yeah. of restaurant math right now because they're we're at fifty percent capacity in New York right now mm-hmm. and and the thing we're doing at Food and Wine is trying to make restaurant math more accessible to diners so they know exactly how their decisions are if uh, you know, affecting like the well-being of restaurants yeah. and yeah. we just realized like and it's part of food and wine pro if you want to go there it's um you know i think it's i think it's pretty important work um to do that but so i would you, court the uh people families with small children yes because that yes. was really our five thirty to 7 was like toddler hour <laughs> and and uh, you probably like, New York City restaurants like tend to be kind of cramped <laughs> like spaces yeah. very much at a premium I'm so sorry I never got to go to to Juhu but it's weird in my head I feel mm-hmm. like Juhu is an idea and and sort of a larger <laughs> thing than a space and it can be applied to a lot of different things like it's bigger than the it's than the components of it like does yeah, it... it's going beyond the four walls is really what it is yeah um and i think that like you know i've done a ton of stuff like i started doing a lot of traveling um in 2018 and 2019 i mean i was in i traveled a lot in 2019 yeah. like i was in new york alone like five times um and, and yet, I don't think we've, I don't think we ever met. I, I, I actually think this is the first time we've actually ever spoken to each other. We've emailed a bunch, but I don't think we've right. actually ever spoken to one another too, which is strange in my head. But I feel like I've talked to you because I've listened to your podcast. And so yeah. I've heard you talking and we've had these email exchanges. So I feel like this, it doesn't feel strange. It feels yeah. like perfectly like we've done this a million times before. It, it's very 2021 that I was like, I was describing somebody earlier to my husband of like, oh, this person is a friend I just haven't met yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm shocked how many friends I've made in a pandemic. It's amazing. It's like, kind it's of kind of bizarre. <laughs> it's a, it is a really wonderful and beautiful thing. And I'm, you know, and I'm trying to sort of figure out like, what are these lessons from the pandemic? And, and, you know, and, and I realized like, to me, you know, and what we can communicate to the public. And to me, it's really radically altered the notion of what a chef and what a restaurant can 
be. And, you know, our restaurant editor, Kush Bouchard, has been, you know, talking about that for a really, really long time. And it's how she, you know, does her best new chefs and best new restaurants list. Like she's really trying to reconsider, especially in light of this reset. Like, mm-hmm. you know, who you know, who is, who is a chef? And I, and there, there are such outdated notions of it. I think you can be a chef if you sell plates out of your house, personally. Like I'm yeah. sort of thinking that. Of course, and- of course. And I think that, you know, to me, uh, that we actually, there was this, uh, Jenny Dorsey and I and a few I people did yeah. a, um, a clubhouse on what makes a chef a chef. Um, and one of the things I said in my sort of closing remarks was like, <laughs> You know, as much as I could definitely be on that, like, oh, I've done this all these years and I've done all mm-hmm. this stuff. And, you know, if, if you can't expedite a line in the middle, you know, all these things, mm-hmm. then you're not a real chef. Like, but that kind of mentality has been used uh, historically against people like mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. so much. Exactly. That to me, I just feel like the, the only way to the, the democratization of that word mm-hmm. takes away its power. Um, and, and, and that power currently lives in this sort of very straight white male, uh, fine dining world where they're sort of the arbiters of who is a real chef and who's not a real chef. And, uh, if we just say anybody, you know, you, whether you sell plates out of your house or you write recipes for a blog Mm -hmm. and you want to call yourself a chef, I'm like, go ahead and call yourself a chef because the more people that are just like, yeah, there's different ways of being a chef, the more that takes that sort of, you know, that sort of vaulted power out of the word that somehow it only belongs to these rarefied specimens who just all happen to be straight white men. The Boku's uh. dorks. <laughs> like I'm right. picturing like the, that, uh, like, you know, the, and, and, you know, and there's beauty in that particular kind of craft and stuff, but it's, it ain't the only game, you know, and especially, right. exactly. Exactly. Especially it's people not are the only thing. Yeah, people are struggling financially too, and mm-hmm. like I, you know, I, there was a, a super fancy, uh, you know, tasting menu place that opened up during the pandemic in a, in a different city, mm-hmm. and I was thinking like, the last thing I want in the entire universe right at this moment is a four hour sit down tasting menu, which mm-hmm. while people are not don't have enough to eat, it was just it just felt weird to me. Yeah, and I uh, the last couple tasting menu meals I've had um I the last two are probably gonna be possibly the last two ever because mm-hmm. both times I remember halfway through the meal looking at my wife and just being like why do I do this <laughs> I've had some I like but yeah it's sort of yeah. it becomes a punishment endurance kind of thing yeah oh yeah definitely I've had some that have blown my mind um and and maybe it's just all about being in that right mind frame and um you know but, you know, it's also like, let's be clear, like my wife and I get treated like shit a lot of times by places like that. If they don't, you know, quote unquote, know who I am, which is messed up because even if they don't do know who I am and we don't get treated like shit, it's like, OK, but that's just because of who I am and not because of my identity or how right. I look. Like yes. I want you to treat somebody who looks like me this nicely, even if they aren't a semi-famous chef. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've literally, I had a, there was once we were at a restaurant, I'm, you know, I'm not going to name any names, um, but we were at a tasting menu restaurant and the, they started serving a course while I was in the restroom and they were going to, you know, the the saucing of the plate that they do in front of you. Mm -hmm. Like they were about to do that. And my wife looked at them like, what are you doing? Like, (laughs) (laughs) my dining partner is not here. Like that's, um, 
did they you know? like like you're operating on their schedule yeah, rather yeah. than exactly exactly instead of like that you know whatever the cert you know and and then you just know that like the group of investment bankers all sitting at the table <laughs> next to us are they're getting a different level of respect i mean i've yeah. literally I've, I've seen it happen in front of my eyes like literally uh i've been at a very fancy winery and mm. asked if they do industry you know discounts no uh no we don't um and then halfway and he's just being kind of rude to us halfway through he connects with who i am and it was like the red carpet rolls out and all of a mm -hmm. sudden there's reserve tastings there's discounts Jesus. there's yep. you know all this and that and i'm just like this is yep. messed up but when yeah. you were just looking at me as what i look like and i told you i'm a chef in fact i'm presenting at the cia graystone just down the road <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you didn't care but when you oh all of a sudden recognize me from anthony bourdain's show now you know the whole thing changes so that sort of i mean that part of the industry um and 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 like you said it's just like there it feels very strange to partake in something so uh sort of luxurious when folks are you know just getting by the the level of just hunger um and I don't feel I, a desire for it. Like, I'm not like, yeah. like, if you think about, you know, this year and the pandemic and like, you know, this sort of elemental things that we are craving. I mean, sure. I'm sure there's some people that just love those kinds of experiences <laughs> that are like, oh my God, I can't wait to have that kind of experience again. But most mm -hmm. of us are really like craving that sort of elemental, like just honest, soulful, nourishing, delicious food. Yeah made by somebody else because we're sick of our own cooking. Right, yeah, yeah. But, but have like, somebody you know. cook for you. Like having that is is mm -hmm. so beautiful to have somebody else's food and you know that they made it and they care. And, you know, I keep thinking, what is the thing that I've missed? And I really, it's sitting in a diner mm. and having somebody else's e eggs <laughs> and somebody else make me, <laughs> somebody else make me toast and, you know, and just, or an egg and cheese sandwich or something like that. And yeah, you know, I can get, I get delivery, I get takeout, I get that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. being in that diner where I know the servers because I've been there so many times and, you know, they recognize you as a regular, say, hey, you leave leaving, here's a free donut, you know, yeah. like that, yeah. that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, you're right. Like, you know, it was when I was, you know, people hear this in the upcoming episode, like with Nigella Lawson, like we were talking about like that, that food, that kind of private food that you make for yourself or, you know, that very home food that is not pretty necessarily. Right. And it's just all you want to eat. <laughs> you know that long cooked thing that really end elemental beautiful kind of thing or mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh, what is it that you're craving in particular i have really been one thing i'm really craving is barbecue because oh. i i have not done a lot of smoking of meats mm -hmm. um in my career although i did give it a go this past summer um mm. with a little i don't have a, a charcoal grill but i have a little box little you know get a little smoker box that you put mm -hmm. inside the gas grill yeah um and i made some saint louis ribs that were pretty good but then wildfire season yeah got going and i was like the last thing i want i mean even though it's safe it, it's like the last thing i want to be doing is having my neighbors smell wood yeah. burning that's traumatic 
um <laughs> yeah and be like what the fuck is that is it okay you right. know yeah like is that should i be worried should i be calling somebody um and so um I, yeah and and there's a number of places in oakland i mean i still have not tried matt horn's barbecue mm. um and i'm dying to because every bun just says <laughs> you know it's like confirmation yes it is that amazing um <laughs> And, uh, you know, so, you know, there isn't as much of that, uh, of the barbecue available up here in Sonoma County as there is mm -hmm. in Oakland. Um, so I definitely, and, and that's like, yeah, again, just like that, it's like a, this deep craving for the, those ribs or that brisket, um, smoky meats. It takes, it takes so much time to do it and so much labor of love. And it's just a, a really, really beautiful thing. I, I sort of speak at this barbecue conference every year, though it didn't, you know, obviously happen this past year yeah. and um, run by uh, Mike Mills and Amy Mills. And Mike used to say like, you know, he's like, there aren't secrets in barbecue. It's just time. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, everybody's all oh, about my secret sauce about, you know, whatever. He's like, no, it's just the labor and the time that, mm. that goes into it and to me it's like this holy experience like I rarely feel as much myself as when I'm tending something in the smoker over the course of a day and then know I'm going to serve it to friends like that yeah. is yeah one, one yeah. of those, those for moments. me it's the braises like I'm a yeah. big you know when you think about a lot of warm and saucy Indian cuisine mm -hmm. um, and before when I was vegetarian and I started cooking more Indian food like I used to love making risottos like that mm -hmm. kind of stuff like a sauce <laughs> Uh, that cooks all day on the stove mm -hmm. um, that, you know, short ribs that are braised for four hours um, and developing that flavor. Like I love that kind of um, thing. Oh so my God. I'm thinking like my perfect meal right now would be it's like something like brown and slumped and stuff. And then a bunch of bright vegetables next to it, <laughs> like veg <laughs> vegetables and herbs and, and all of that. And just like that contrast of the, the, the freshness and the, and the super cooked down kind of stuff sounds, sounds really, really glorious. But the thing is like during all of this, you have not been twiddling your thumbs. You have been creating things. You made a spice blend. You have a new podcast that yes, I would I love to talk about. What was the thing that, tell us about the podcast and what made you start doing that? Um, well, the podcast is called Loading Dock Talks with Chef Prithi Mystery. That's me. <laughs> and um, we're talking to my favorite food folks, mostly chefs, but um, also some food adjacent folks. Um, the next episode that's coming out. Um, on Tuesday is Nick, has Nick Cho as my guest. Um, you might know him as your Korean. <gasps> your dad. Korean dad. Oh, I love him. Um, and he's, he's so also soothing. A coffee guy, and I've known him for a number of years. Um, and he makes me really happy and feel soothed. <laughs> he's younger. Than, I think he's. I think. I think on Twitter I recently saw he's like a year younger than I am, but I'm still happy to have him as my Korean dad. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's for all ages. Yeah. So my favorite was the, the cab. Did you see the cabbage TikTok that he did where he's like, it was like salt me. Like it was the whole thing. He did it to the song Savage from Megan Thee Stallion. And it's yeah. basically like kimchi. He, um, it's like the kimchi recipe. Um, it was amazing. Oh, <laughs> I, I will not try to <laughs> imitate I, it. My my flow is not good, or else I would. <laughs> I but I will link to it in the show notes because that sounds really darling. And so, what was what was it that drove you to want to uh, to do this? Well, I think the big thing for me was like I've been on so many podcasts <laughs> and I've been interviewed 
by like I've been interviewed a gazillion times um, and I wanted to kind of flip the microphone mm -hmm. um, and you know I talk a lot and I have a lot of opinions and I feel like I, I'm one of those people that can pretty much talk to anyone about anything forever mm -hmm. yeah so uh, it's it's not hard for me um, I, I like people I do sometimes and, yeah <laughs> like I genuinely like people um and I like fall in love with people in that platonic sense of just like oh yeah. my god this person's so cool um, I have a gazillion crushes out in the world <laughs> yeah and you know so I, I wanted to give it a try I feel like uh you know I did some college radio and I feel like I've You've got, got good that good voice, voice. you do you do <laughs> um and I've been told this so, yeah, and I think also, you know, these last two years of not having a restaurant, I've spent a lot of time talking to my peers and colleagues. Yeah. Like, first, uh, it was, you know, meeting up with Tanya or Reem for a drink or um, and that sort of thing. Um, and then I started doing a lot of traveling, as I was saying, and doing different, whether it was a dinner or... Um, you know, speaking engagements, panels, et cetera, and, and meeting so many of my colleagues around the country as well. And I start to feel like, wait, I know all these people and they should all know each other. I love that. I love introducing people who can make each other's lives better. Yeah. And, it, you know, last year, right before the pandemic, in February of 2020, I hosted this happy hour um, and it was supposed to be like, you know, women chefs. And then, um, Vinny was upset that it was just women oh. chefs, so we women and LGBT. <laughs> women so and Vinny. Was, yeah. So it was Vinny and like 30 ladies. Um, <laughs> Vinny who has previously been on this podcast too. <laughs> yes. Um, Vinny Ng is who I'm talking about just for our listeners. <laughs> There's um, only one Amazing Vinny, human. On. Amazing human. Um, Truly. And talk, we had a happy talk hour. I will know Vinny taught me how to talk to trees. So. Vinny like, taught me how to not let the haters live rent free in my head. Yes. That is what he taught me. This is a um, good thing. But yeah, we had this, we had this happy hour, um, like mid February and like, lo and behold, like there's Brenda from Brenda's French soul food, exchanging numbers with Tanya Holland. Mm -hmm. There's like, you know, Dominica rice from Cosecha getting the good to eat dumpling ladies, uh, number so that her teenage daughter can do a dumpling class and learn how to make dumplings. Like I was just like, this is awesome. This is exactly <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> like it's happening. It's happening. And of course everyone brought way too much food because we did it at a bar that is now open friends and family. It's a queer, new queer bar in downtown Oakland, but they had, were not open yet. Um, and we wanted the chefs who work there, uh, Krista Chase, who's at, was at Tartine Manufactory before. Mm. Um, we wanted them to be able to just hang out and not be cooking. Yeah. Um, and so we asked a certain amount of people to bring food. And of course, you know what happens when you ask a bunch of chefs to bring some food. The leftover um, situation. Oh, oh my God. God. It was crazy. There was so much food. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, I love that sort of thing. Um, because also like, especially as, you know, marginalized, whatever women, uh, BIPOC chefs, queer chefs, um, you know, we kind of get siloed in our, mm -hmm. in our restaurants and in our businesses. 
and I think it's really, it, it's, it's part of the, like, you know, I mean, on the very face of it, it's very like an answer to the old boys club. It's mm -hmm. like, we're going to have our own club. Um, and you know, there also in our communities, there's always the scarcity mentality. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm just not about that. Like I'm not, I, you know, I mean, my first guest is Asha Gomez, an Indian woman chef. Like some people might be like, oh, don't you see her as competition? Like, no, what? <laughs> she's my sister. You are no, two like, intensely like, different like, human beings. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and, and so to me, it's like, you know, I really believe strongly in the like, you know, your win is my win. Mm -hmm. um, let's all, you know, bring each other up. Um, and this is something that's always been really important to me. I think, you know, back in like 2016, 2017, I think every journalist I talked to, I was like Rima Seal and Knight Yoon. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm so proud of them and all that they've done. Um, so for me, it's just like, I want to like talk to and highlight and bring, like, I want to share all of the awesome people I know with other people. Um, like you should know this person. They're amazing. Yeah. Like nothing makes me happier than like sending a text to a couple of people being like, Hey, you don't know each other, but here's why I love each one of you. And here's mm -hmm. why you're going to fall in love. And that's, you know, and especially like during this when we're all seeking connection, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's such a hard thing. I'm, I'm so, you know, nervous about going back out into the world and, you know, being among other humans and stuff, yeah. but, but I still feel like, okay, well, I've been talking to people this whole time. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I haven't been totally cut off. <laughs> right. Right. So, but it, it's, it's sort of like those things, I think like this is going to be, you know, this pandemic has been God awful for so many so many reasons the you know the losses on all different levels and the ugliness that it is that brought out in in people and you know and, and it's been it's such an intensely painful time on so many levels and on the same you know at yeah. the same time I, I was thinking this is you know, hopefully a reset for you know humanity at large and how we treat each other but i really really keep coming back to restaurants and thinking that you know this is going to be a, a different way that people think of restaurants and what they do and how people are treated in restaurants and who gets to work in a restaurant who gets to own a restaurant and, and all that and i i have to be able to look and hopefully try to see it as this new kind of like nexus for community maybe that's me being incredibly naive but that's what i want no, I, I don't think that that's, I mean, I feel like that's what some of us have been trying to do all along. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, to me, Which... like the biggest thing about the like loss of like closing, deciding to close Jew was just like, oh, the people, like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like every single day, like my day was like packed with the people. Um, and there's probably like very few nights where like not one person I knew came in for dinner. Yeah. Um, I mean, we lived in the neighborhood. Um, and so that type of, like, I felt like it was very much all about community. Like, you know, I mean, there's a story about the day that the Supreme Court ruled on uh, gay marriage. Yeah. And it was right on Pride weekend. And that Friday, like, for, like, I didn't post <laughs> anything. Just like all of these queers just descended on the restaurant <laughs> and I remember texting my wife and being like I think you should probably come down here um, <laughs> because that. it was community and that that was you know what people 
they thought, wow, you know, how and where do we go to celebrate this when there isn't some like organized thing because it's just happened. Um, and, and a certain amount of folks in Oakland felt like our place was the place to come. And I feel so honored um, to, to have been able to host that sort of community. I feel like that was so much of what we were trying to do. Uh, I mean, that was, you know, to go back to why you asked me when I started to go to culinary school. It's like, yeah, I was good at this thing, but it made people happy and it brought people together. And I loved yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of being like the host, like host writ large kind of thing, like mm -hmm. whether that's a virtual thing or, uh, you know, you are physically bringing people together. It is such a beautiful thing. And I've seen more and more restaurants as they're ones that are opening now or ones that are reconfiguring and very much making a concerted effort to be part of the community. And again, like, mm -hmm. I know that you have always done that, but people who are baking in a 501c3 or some other kind of thing where it is automatically in there that this is for the community. It is is, yeah. you know, it is a, a safe and good place. And, you know, and then the business relationships that they have are going to benefit the community. I just had like Adrian Lipscomb was, was on the podcast talking about mm. this. Um, you know, Sidki Kaval and Norma Listman were on it talking about what they're doing in Mexico city. Oh, and I just, Norma. <laughs> oh, they're such good humans. <laughs> and, yeah. and I've never actually met, Nor I, I do, I, I do know him in person, but I've never met Norma <laughs> in person and I cannot wait I... for this, but like, finally met her at a friend's wedding which was which she was doing the food in new york which is funny because like there were like so many times where people were like oh well you know norma right and i'm like no and there and then people would just be like how do you two not know each other uh, but i knew socket because he was like oh my god like when juhu opened he was like there all the time like he was just like i love this i love this i met him in ireland we were speaking at a conference and mm -hmm. like and it was such a random thing i've met jp's uh, uh, yeah and it, thing. yeah food on it food on the edge it's such a beautiful uh -huh. people and i i just you know i met some it brought to in i think he's one of those people jp mcmahon who brings together mm -hmm. really good and beautiful uh you know things in the world and doing it around food and so i want to ask you then like what is like if you close your eyes and imagine like what is this future of like what Juhu means to you and what you want to see in the world? You know, I know that it probably changes all the time, but like right at this moment, what does that look like to you? I mean, I want to keep cooking for people in some capacity. I want, yeah. but I think that, you know, just like the spice blends and, you know, a lot of the recipes that are in the book or I've done online um, on my Instagram and I just did some things for some other magazines um i'll just call i'll just say that um oh you know no you did a beautiful feature for bon appetit um, but uh you know i i want to keep growing and i mean i'm cooking new things all the time and um you know could it have a, a new life somewhere else possibly i don't know that i ever want to have like a brick and mortar 24 7 restaurant um, and this is something Asha and I talked about on the podcast is that she said, you know, I think that that's an antiquated idea that in mm -hmm. order to be taken seriously and respected as a chef that you have to have this sort of classic brick and mortar. Um, and that's so, also, yeah, that's also giving the power to somebody else about like having to earn their respect. I'm like, mm, you get to determine that, like who you, right. whose right. respect you give a crap well, and about. The funny thing is like, you know, Asha talks about how she hated it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but like, I'm, I worked in restaurants for years. Like I freaking love it. <laughs> like, you know, I, oh, that feeling of like, 
you know, expediting and it's like packed and there's people <laughs> waiting for tables. And I, you know, I used to like literally, so the zoo is open and I'd expedite behind the line. Um, and I'd be like wiping plates, like having a Twitter battle <laughs> on You're my good phone, at those. um, Instagram in pictures of what's going on, uh, DJing. Cause we had like, you know, a sound system that I, could, I had the app on my phone and sometimes like picking up a station when somebody's too slow and like, you know, just spinning around like a whirling dervish. And I love that. Like, I love that. It, 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 I thrive on that kind of stuff. Like I did some, um, consulting for Besharam in 2018 um, and I was, you know, doing some troubleshooting on their service and I just was like, this is so fun. Like, I'm having so much fun. Like, oh, what, what do you need on table 20? Okay, I got it. Um, <laughs> I feel um, like you're probably a person who at somebody else's restaurant, like if you see a table where the water glass isn't full, you go over and pour the water. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I, there's a very popular restaurant. I won't name the name because of the history of the person who owns the restaurant, but it used to be a place Anne and I used to go quite frequently and we loved all the staff and knew all this they knew us and I remember once this host was setting uh the table next to us and she dropped a uh a bottle of water on the table and it crashed and broke oh. everywhere and Ann and yeah. I just like immediately just jumped up and just started <laughs> cleaning <laughs> the mess and she was just like in shock and probably so embarrassed but like um, you must be industry <laughs> And and then the manager came over and we were like, hi, Laura. <laughs> she was like, you guys, I think I got it from here. Thanks. And I'm like, okay. Oh, it's, um, it's sort of like one of my best friends in the world is a man named John Winterman, who has been on this podcast before. And I referred to him. It was sort of, and he had an old roommate who was also in the industry. And I learned from them. I sort of realized wait, whenever I leave the table or whatever, they fold my napkin and I realize like, oh, the napkin folders. So I like, I, I learned to identify a napkin folder. But the nice thing is it makes me happiest when he can be over at my house and I get to take care of him. Mm, and yeah. and he's sort of restless for a second because he's like, wait, I should be. And then he relaxes into it. So I want to know with your whirling dervish, with all of this kind of yeah. stuff, what does it look like when you are still? Can you be still? I mean, I'm, I'm a person who needs to move my body. Like yeah. I get really like, uh, I, you know, I box and, um, in December, like right before Christmas, I blew my shoulder out mm. and I couldn't exercise for like a month or two. I'm still not boxing. I'm doing other stuff, but, um, I'm like a little nervous, honestly. <laughs> um, I'm in physical therapy for a rotator cuff right now. So I get you. You understand. Yeah. I mean, I, the morning I woke up, I literally like I hurt to breathe on my oh, right God. side. Um, and uh, so, you know, for me, I, I remember saying to my wife, like a week in, like and realizing that this wasn't just going away. I was like, I'm probably going to get depressed. You realize that. Yeah. And, you know, and so, yeah, I had a period in like January where I was just kind of like, Rah! Because yeah. I'm a, like, like I need, uh, it's the inertia, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm, I got a lot going on and I'm moving my body and I'm doing all these things, then I'm like, I can do it all. Yeah. Um, and, but you know, if I just don't have that kind of thing, then I can start to spiral where it's like, just like, you know, figuring out what to make for dinner or doing the dishes or, you know, putting my coffee cup in the sink feels like, oh, <laughs> Um, so I think that, you know, for me, the most important thing is to be mindful of that and always like 
push myself to move my body, which is why, like, when we when the pandemic first started and we were up here in Sonoma County, I started um, volunteering on a farm um, because, and that was awesome. It was the best thing. It was just like I was, you know, my aunt was working furiously and at that time this room I'm in right now her office was still had a bed in it which took up most of it and she was like at a tiny table in the corner um, now it's like a full-on office I have you know she's got a proper chair that moves around and the whole thing two monitors you know um, <laughs> but uh, it was the best thing was I get out of her hair and also I was just like yeah like you know it was a thing to wake up in the early in the morning for um, and move my body and it just puts me in a good mood and then I'm like let's go let's do it let's do it and I can just accomplish so I'm I'm one of those people that like I work best when I'm being chased by a thousand pound gorilla um, that's just, <laughs> I'm, tr I'm trying know, to like, get out of that mindset myself but yeah <laughs> um yeah so I'm just I mean I, I work well under pressure I mean it's probably why I, I work well in restaurant environments and just moving my body and like that those are the things that are really um keep me going um, to, to be positive and to just like get shit done. But, you know, yeah. it's been, it's been interesting. So I, yeah, I volunteered, um, on a farm about 30 minutes away. And then I started also volunteering for farm to pantry. Um, because at some point, like by that end of the summer, I was like, okay, so I should probably do something or that actually might pay me. Um, <laughs> oh, that. Yeah. So, so by the end of the summer, and you know, just seeing where the pandemic was like, we're, uh, doesn't look like this is, we're out of this woods yet. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I got to like figure out what the heck I'm going to do because um, I, I had would, was consulting on a project right before the pandemic hit. I was uh, consulting on a performance space and doing all the F&B. Um, and we were just about to start the process of like hiring, training, recruiting. Um, and you know, doing the damn thing, um, and then I was supposed to be opening a couple places in a food hall in, in Jack London Square. So um, you know, by August, I'm like, okay, that stuff's not happening. Um, so what am I gonna do? Um, and you know, I mean, I've been doing a few things like the the recipe writing, um, uh, some of the corporate stuff in terms of cooking demos and things like that, um, virtual cooking demos. And then, yeah, I just, I, I, I talked to a friend about doing a podcast a couple years ago, um, together, a chef friend. Um, and it, it didn't, you know, we're like, yeah, 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 but it didn't really, um, gel at that time, yeah. um, with what they had going on. And, um, then, you know, it just sort of came back up and then I connected with Katie and Ricardo, who do Copper and Heat, award-winning oh, podcast, Copper they're and Heat. Absolutely, um, a James Beard award-winning podcast, yeah, <laughs> Copper and Heat. Yeah. yeah. No, they are brilliant um, human beings. They're great. They're great. And, yeah, I had just, actually, right before the pandemic, uh, Reem and I were interviewed together in the most uh, COVID-unfriendly situation. <laughs> it was, like, the three of us in this tiny little, like, closet room. Right. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we had we had met and we started talking and, you know, they expressed interest in wanting to sort of produce more podcasts in the food space that they were not necessarily the host of. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I was like, yeah, let's, you know, let's talk about it. And we, it just kind of evolved. Um, and Ricardo is a musician, so he's done all of the beats 
and um, sound engineering stuff. And Katie is amazing. I mean, she edits the whole thing. Yeah. And um, we also, I mean, she's really like my partner. Um, you know, we just spent the last hour before I got here with you um, doing some, you know, re-recording -re some voiceovers mm -hmm. because some things weren't exactly, but, you know, just content-wise, we're on the same page as well. It's not just technical. Um, we talk about the guests and how we want to structure things and, um, you know, we both do research on the guests and bring up things to share, um, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. Um, it's, and I'm really a collaborative person. So like I, you know, if I had decided to figure this all out on my own, I'd still be sitting on the couch, looking at Twitter, procrastinating, trying to figure out how to <laughs> fighting do over pasta own. shapes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But I got bigger fish to fry. Uh, no, I have time for all of it, actually. <laughs> but, you know, that's actually part of it. The other thing about the podcast is I feel like I have a lot of opinions. And I feel like a lot of people want to hear what I have to say. Yes, and yeah. My, uh, my co-author of my cookbook, the Juhu Beach Club cookbook, uh, Sarah Henry, fantastic Australian lady. I remember, like, a year or two ago when there was some, like, Twitter situation she looked like we met up for drinks and she was like, you got to figure out how to monetize this shit. You're really good at it. And I was like, huh, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't just give it all away for free. No, um, like we're, we're 2021. You got to hustle. You got to do all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that was also part of it was, um, you know, if I can, you know, right now, we're, so we're doing these three episodes, Asha Gomez, Nick Cho and Zoe Ajonio. And then um, we, we've also just started, now that we're publishing them, um, looking for sponsors. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you're listening, please. <laughs> I think there's also something about the fact that, you know, uh, in the food space, the amount of podcasts that are hosted by BIPOC folks is, is small. It's um, tiny. Yeah. So you have Samin and Rishi and you have uh, Soleil and Justin. Um, I'm sure and they were kind of some of the originals of it, like Soleil and Justin were some of yeah, the originals Soleil. of it, too. and. Yeah, yeah, because she had raised a sandwich with Zaheer, and um, I was on that um, back in the day. Um, I have a little pin but, from being a sponsor. <laughs> oh. But, you know, I mean, I think that it's really an interesting, you know, we all know when you change the identities of folks mm -hmm. in the room, the, the dynamic changes. Um, yeah. And so I think that it's really important that, um, you know, to, to have those kinds of conversations. And, um, you know, it, me and Asha talking to each other about, Indian food and immigration, um, there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. Same thing with Nick as an immigrant. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's just an interest, like it's, to me, it seems like an important thing to uh, be a part of giving people more diverse voices, not just being interviewed, but actually being in the interviewer seat. Yeah, and I want to recommend the Afros and Knives uh, podcast Ooh, yes, as yes. well, because that, you know, just really like interviewer, interviewees and stuff like that is just an absolutely brilliant thing that folks should listen to. Actually, you've I, I will include um, with this a list of, of podcasts that people should put into their regular rotation because it just makes your makes your brain better, makes your heart better, makes the world better yeah. with yeah. with all of this. So, you know. Oh my gosh, I feel like I could talk to you with you for hours, but I want to, I want to take up all your time. So I, I want to ask you some questions that I ask everybody. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Have you I ever... can always say no. Yeah, and I would respect that. <laughs> and, well, have you ever cried in the walk-in? 
No, but I have cried sitting at a table in the dark by myself in my restaurant at like 4 a.m. Mm. More than once? felt very much like a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> more, more than once or a particular incident? Oh, a particular incident. It was, um, the, I mean, we'd only been open for a few months and it was the Eat Real Fest. And I, um, I was trying to braise 500 pounds of short ribs. Um, it was that is a lot of short really, ribs yeah yeah in a 40 seat restaurant with two ovens <laughs> yeah i could see how that would be tear inducing <laughs> um thus the 4 a.m um <laughs> right and, and knowing you and were you trying things weren't going so well at home either <laughs> oh. when, when that's how you know right. things are in the work world um you're coming so home smelling like short rib <laughs> it was just you know everyone was kind of thin on patience and compassion for each other yeah so, um yeah. just the life of a chef because <laughs> yeah i mean you gotta let this through i am i love talking about crying and stuff there's actually uh, a podcast about crying called cry babies that is pretty great oh, wow. <laughs> talking about moments of crying um so you know i know you love to feed people i know you love to take care of community and stuff what is the selfish thing that you want for you <laughs> how do i answer this question is this like a what do you want to see for yourself in the world or is like, this what? like a or just one special little like treat it, you know what people have taken it so many different directions and uh, and it's weird because it kind of stumps people because they're like i've never actually thought about what i want right yeah so you can I think mean... big think little I mean, I want, I want to have my show. I'm excited about it. I, I want to be able to, I want to be able to do the things I love that I'm good at and actually get compensated for them. Yeah. Fairly. Yeah. Um, I think that that's been a frustrating thing for me. And, and I say this with the, you know, the caveat of like, that I do have a privilege that I have a partner who, you know, we're not going to be homeless or starving. Um, and, and, but, you know, I'm, I'm someone who I think has a lot of ideas and energy and sometimes I feel stifled by the world around me. Like, I feel like I'm always like a little ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Catch <laughs> um, up everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think even with Juhu, you know, it's like, it took a couple years for people to get it. Um, I have a joke that I, I'm really good at doing things people didn't know they needed. <laughs> I mean, that's how you, uh, you know, make a product that takes right. over the world is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> create a need, then fill it or, or identify a need and fill it. I think that is the thing. Yeah. I think I, the problem is I'll create a thing and then people are like, do I need that? I don't know that I need that. And I'm like, no, you need this. You need this. Come on, try it. <laughs> um, I, I definitely feel like, I don't know, I feel like this really is your year. It's like between the podcast and Waffles and Mochi and, and just various other things, I really feel like this is a big, huge bust out year for you. I, hope I just, so. I don't know. I don't know. I just have this. I, I, I like maybe this is like, okay, I'm reaching across the country with my pinky and we're locking pinkies okay. here. Pinkies and up. like, yeah, and just like wishing this into existence because you deserve it. Thank you. And yeah, I want this for you. So what's your comfort food? Pizza. Mm, any particular curry. one? Ooh. Um, Made by I, you, somebody else? 
Um, yeah, I'm made, made by me, um, but I'm sure there's there's a lot out there <laughs> that I'd be happy with uh, if they were made by someone else. The chicken curry, that is. Um, mm -hmm. The pizza, I think there's a lot of people that make better pizza than me. I'm not saying that my pizza is terrible. I think it's quite good. <laughs> um, but, you know, I did have an Indian pizza restaurant for a while. Navi was, we did Oof. Indian pizza there. Um, and now really I have good. this baking steel. I'm like so excited. I've been making pizza um, in the oven and on the grill. Um, the steel is really something. Um, maybe I should ask them if they want to sponsor my podcast. Ask uh, them. Uh, <laughs> why not? If you don't say it out into the universe. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the pizza, I think if classic, like the total comfort, comfort, comfort would be pepperoni. Mm. Um, I feel like there's probably at least two times in my life where I've been in some really, really like whatever situation of sadness where Anne's just looked at me and been like, I'm going to go get you a pepperoni pizza. Oh, with the little, <laughs> the, with the, the cupped and the, the cups yeah. and the grease. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, and that's actually one of the friends I've made up here since during the pandemic is the amazing Leah Skirto from Pizza Leah, who opened her restaurant in a pandemic. Um, <sighs> and her pizza is amazing. Um, and it's in like a grocery store, like, you know, strip mall. Um, and it's amazing. Like, she does a thin crust and a pan pizza. They're both truly amazing. Soleil's a big fan. Um, she made the like Bay Area. I got, she got like best new restaurant in Sonoma <laughs> County. Text uh, me that, that link, is... please. <laughs> <laughs> but she's yeah. So we've kind of made friends. You know, I brought her some food. She gave me a a blind pan pizza to do my own thing <laughs> on. You know, I got a hat. Uh, I brought her hot sauce. <laughs> um, so we have a little burgeoning friendship. I'm I, I actually I've had the conversation a couple times. I'm like, can you imagine the day where we could order pizza from Pizza Leah? And then the two of us could just sit at the bar and have a beer and chat with her for a little bit before we take our pizza home and like eat some garlic knots and hang out and just shoot the shit. All these things we took for granted. Right? I'm just like, I can't wait for that day. That'll be so fun. Oh my God. I love that. I know I'm like going through my head, like <laughs> all those things I want to do. But now I ask you, what is the last meal that, ha that you had that made you emotional? I mean, honestly, I feel like it's the thing I made this past week, which was this brisket biryani. Oh, you um, just said so many words I like right there together. <laughs> <laughs> so I told you I stopped smoking meat because of the wildfires. Mm -hmm. And I've had this brisket in my freezer, like a three pound brisket. And, and every so often we're like, oh, you think maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe it's time to try smoking it. And then I don't know. I just woke up on Saturday morning. It was kind of dreary. It was like 55 and overcast and my wife had a big project she said she was going to need to work on all weekend and I was like it just hit me I was like I'm gonna make brisket biryani <laughs> um and I really like I spent a lot of time with it you know I did, it wasn't like a, a weeknight it took me all freaking day because I like I added coconut milk and a whole head of garlic um that I'd gotten from a friend um, who actually has a great cider company, Tilted Shed up here. Their cider is like wine. I'm like, holy mm. shit, the nuance in here is crazy. Uh, but yeah, she, you know, they grow, but everybody up here, you know, they grow a bunch of stuff. Um, so she like dumped a bunch of big bulbs of garlic on me recently. Um, and, you know, I put potatoes and chard and uh, soft cooked eggs. 
Um, and yeah, I just had like a lot of fun with it. And I used one of my spice ones, the smoky black cardamom, um, as the base. And it took the entire day and night. Um, and I think we ate at like eight o'clock. <laughs> um, and it was just like, it was so good. I was like, holy shit, this is like. I'm just yeah. imagining walking into a house where that is cooking and just feeling like oh the smell yeah I do it saffron and the rice and, happy yeah, caramelized onions with some black cardamom and cinnamon sticks oh my god um, <laughs> yeah I like I, I had all day the weather was bad Anne was busy and I basically like <laughs> thought about every single component and how could I make it the best and took and, the time to do that. <laughs> and I'm sure that that came through in it, like in how it tasted. Yeah. That... And I, I had to send some, I had to give some away because we both decided that this probably wouldn't freeze well. Like, I don't know about cooked yeah. rice. I'm not feeling that. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, I made enough in this gigantic lake crusade <laughs> to feed like six to 10 people. Um, and we are like two small women. So, <laughs> so I mean, we ate it for like three nights for sure. Yeah. But, um, but I then cooked, I made little I cooked too big a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we made some and, and sent it off to a few friends around Sonoma. Lucky friends. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the last meal that uh, somebody made for you in their home? Oh, wow. A throwback, right? <laughs> you know, that's so hard because you know what? I'm sure you've heard this before, but the one thing that chefs will complain about, or at least their partners will complain about, is no one ever invites us over for this, dinner uh, this is they're this afraid. Is, this is exactly why I asked this question. It's probably my friend Gretchen. So I've known um, Gretchen since we were in college together, um, where we both had bald heads, and she drove a motorcycle. And um, we went to the same college, and we went to basically our friendship was solidified in a moment at the Lexington, which is a lesbian bar that had opened that year in the mission. And we sat across from each other and she said, I was always been kind of intimidated by you. And I was like, I've always been kind of intimidated <laughs> by you. Let's be friends. Oh my <laughs> and God. And we shook on it. <laughs> That's um, so but, uh, Yeah. Gretchen and her wife Gita live in Oakland and they have two kids, um, Naveen and Leela. And so, we oftentimes will, we used to live when we lived in Oakland, like literally a minute drive away. Oh. Um, and so, you know, we, a lot of times we just want to see the kids and like, uh, those are the two activities. So Gretchen comes over after the kids are asleep for like a glass of wine or a beer and watch the Warriors game. Or we, <laughs> we go there at like 5.30 and um, have dinner with the family. And, and Gretchen oftentimes, um, she is the primary caretaker of the children and so she cooks all the, the their meals as well that her wife is a teacher um so yeah um probably there was probably a pizza with a whole wheat crust and a big healthy salad because uh, <laughs> that's what you have when you go because you got to do that yeah for the kids i, I, I imagine like uh, have the kids seen you on the show yet uh yeah they must be so proud. Were they well, just the geeking out? Well, the funny thing is, uh, Gita told me the other day that she told him about the podcast, Naveen, about the podcast. And he said, wow, now Brittany's like super duper famous. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually the podcast more than Waffles and Mochi for whatever oh, reason. But, you know, and then I had a one of my cousins, uh, she said, I'm not going to tell the boys. I'm just going to put it on. 
and see what their reaction is when they see oh. their Masi on this show. And, and so uh, the older one, she sent me a video of him like turning and looking at her like, oh, and then turning back at the TV. And then I said, what are, what are the, the little one's name is Veer. She, I said, what was Veer's reaction? And she's like, it was really weird. He was just like, yeah, I mean, everybody's on TV these days. <laughs> It's like mistaking YouTube for TV. Come on, this is big. Yeah, it was just like, yes, he, it, you know, for whatever reason at his age, it just was like, yeah, whatever. Oh, that's really lovely. So um, what living musician, because I have to narrow it down to living because otherwise, like, it's just too big. What living okay. musician would you want to cook for and what would you cook for them? Oh, my God, that's such a hard question. I know. <laughs> oh, it God. trips people up. Um... Rihanna? Ooh, what would you make for Riri? Brisket biryani. I think she would love that shit. <laughs> I think she, like, yes. I think with, she likes her spice. With gusto. Like, she, I think she would love that. And, like, what would you want to talk with her about? I mean, she's definitely quite the business person yeah god yeah um, i'm wearing so her lip probably, gloss right now oh there you go if i wore lip gloss i i might consider it but i'm a chapstick lesbian <laughs> um, literally I, I, i'm a gloss bomb straight <laughs> <laughs> um no i'd probably want some advice from her on how to yeah. you know build my you know as jay-z says i'm not a businessman i'm a business business man, man. <laughs> um, and clearly rihanna's done a great job of exactly that Oh my god, she's um, she's so so good at that. Like it, as soon as Fenty came out, I was like, mm -hmm. I need all of this. I just I want it because I knew like that she was not going to be putting up with anything less than perfect. These things were going to be amazing, and they were going to be universal, and they were going to mm -hmm. just be great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I probably want some business advice from her, and then I would want to praise her not only for her music, but I don't know if you've ever seen that. There's like someone has put together a clips of Rihanna walking out of restaurants with a glass of wine. In her yes. Oh, I love that. And I think that is so baller. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God, you're amazing. Like pick up some, just the, the swag of Rihanna. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, this is coming with me. <laughs> I like, she should do a master class, like teach that, but just like how to, just like how to have that swag would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause it's all in the confidence. Yeah. Oh, I want that. <laughs> so last of these questions, let's say you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. Like, you know, everything is taken care of. Like, you know, Anna's chill. Like, no creatures of any sort want anything from you. What do you do to self-care? Hmm. And you're not allowed to be on Twitter. Not allowed to be on Twitter. That's not self-care. <laughs> It's <laughs> like that's like self-flagellation. I feel like I just like I am just a glutton for punishment is really what it is. Um huh. Probably just cuddle with the cat. Is that okay? Yeah, what's the cat's name? Peppercorn. Peppercorn. He it's is a... the sweetest baby. Mm. She's very demanding. <laughs> um she's very communicative i i constantly say like i really think that one of these days this cat is just going to start talking to me and i will not yes. be at all surprised you'll just start um, talking back yeah no i mean i mean when ann's not around i talk to her we, we actually oh, I, this please, joke I, the I, other day and uh julia tertian and grace her wife grace uh we're saying that they're the exact same way where um 
Anil, I'll be talking to Peppercorn, and Anil yells in the other room, like, I can't hear you. And I'm like, it's, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the cat. That happens. I have um, two dogs. And yes, that yeah. happens. Yeah. And when Anne would go out of town and I was like by myself, like, I would just, like, all of a sudden it dawned on me that I didn't have to just think my thoughts in my head. I could <laughs> tell Peppercorn. And also, like, you know, like I said, Anne falls asleep kind of early, so she tends to be sleepier. Like, when I get home from work, if I get home at, like, 9, 45, 10 o'clock, it's like she's kind of half listening anyway. And so I'm kind of talking at her anyway. So then I was like, well, what's the difference between that and Peppercorn? <laughs> <laughs> like, if um, you have an animal and you aren't singing songs to them that are, like, you know, plays on other songs, what are you even doing? I have a whole routine with her where I brush her and sing, like I have to sing to her while I brush her, and I, ch of course, yes, I change the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to... this is why, yeah, part of why you have animals to do this. Right. Yeah, um, it's like a whole thing. I mean, Anne and her do not do this. It's just like our <laughs> thing. Oh yeah, no, my husband and the dogs do that too, and I'm like. What Rihanna song can you sing to your cat? <laughs> right. I'd be like, brush, 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 brush. Oh, now my I'm God. Brush, 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 brush. Oh, my God. I used to have a video series, and I would and I would play with that song all the time on it. And no, and I think that Peppercorn is going to get a serenade. Yeah, I serenade her all the time. Oh my, so if people want to hear your podcast and they mm -hmm. want to follow you on Twitter and buy your books and buy your spice blend and and like make you the rich human you deserve to be, how do they find you? They can find my podcast wherever they find their podcast. It's called <laughs> Loading Doc Talks with Chef Pretty Mystery. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Chef P Mystery. My book, The Juhu Beach Club Cookbook, is sold where most cookbooks are sold. Um, and you can also buy it in conjunction with my trio of spice blends um, at spicewalla.com. In incredible tins. Um, yeah. You get gay tins <laughs> and with my face on them. Um, and yeah, you can buy the spice blend. Just You can buy the trio on its own, or you can buy it in conjunction with the book. Um, yeah, Spicewalla, and you go to the collabs page. There's a lot of col fun collabs they've done with Priya Krishna and Hawa. Um, yeah, it's and oh, they I, just did one with Samantha Four. Um, she oh. did like a fried chicken spice or something. I love that brilliant human. We just did a two part episode <laughs> with with her, and you know, and I will link to all of these in the show notes um, because people need your spice in their life. Thank you. It's thank you so much for I know you have a million things going on and I really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time. And uh, I can't wait to fill my head with your lovely voice and your podcast over this weekend. Oh, thank it's gonna you be so my much. it's going to be my self care. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we got to finally chat. Yeah, let's do more of that. Sounds good. So I think you all know what you need to do. Find Loading Doc Talks on whatever service you get your podcasts on. Maybe the one that you are listening on right now. Hit that like, that subscribe. Get more magic and joy in your life. All the links below, including the podcast that we shouted out. And yeah, joy. It's, it's really kind of funny to even think about the possibility of that again. It's been such a 
you know, long and, and painful and dark and unknowing time for all of us. And it feels a little bit like spring is coming here. I have gotten my second vaccination and I hope that y'all have gotten some of that in your lives as well too. And maybe there's something on the horizon, a better future, a, you know, a more equitable kitchen system, more people knowing that there is a life for them in food, in this world, it belongs to everybody, and everybody should be able to, you know, make a living in it if they want to make an equitable, fair, decent living, and you know what, even thrive. And it's a joy to get to have these conversations, and you can find more of them on Food and Wine Pro, which is pretty easy to find. You go to foodandwine.com/fwpro. And there you will find links to the latest podcast, to all of the stories that we're doing that are about this industry that we all care about so much, uh, about the people who, you know, are in the food system, who, who get us fed from farmers, grocery store workers, chefs, restaurateurs, front of house people, everybody who is involved in this beautiful industry that, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you care about. So you can go to foodandwine.com slash fwpro. And while you are there, consider signing up for the newsletter as well, because this makes everything even easier. It just shows up in your inbox on Friday, usually when we have our stuff together, if not Saturday. <laughs> and we have links to the, the news you need to know for the week and musings and observations and smart words from our editor-in-chief Hunter Lewis, backed with uh, other stuff from our associate restaurant editor Osette Babur, and a wonderful closing mantra from Kelsey Youngman, who you will hear from in just a few moments, and you will also find the link to the latest podcast in that newsletter. Follow that link, subscribe, and we're just going to bring it all to you. So I wanted to thank a few folks, uh, our fantastic producer, Anthara Sinha, who is just, you know, she, she keeps it all moving. I hand her big plates of oral spaghetti and she makes a beautiful meal out of it. And I am grateful to her for that. And for so many reasons, she is a force of grace and light in the universe. And I am so incredibly grateful to her and to Sarah Crowder, the person who's flying the helicopter above my house right now is 2021. We all live at our homes right now and do our business from here. Sarah Crowder, however, uh, gets together the images that we use on the site every week. And she is graceful and fantastic on a regular basis, as are just all of my wonderful colleagues. And I thank them for it. Um, so yeah, you know, we're, we try to be here for you. We try to be good and decent to one another here at Food and Wine and out into the world. And you know who is an incredibly decent and fantastic human is my colleague Kelsey Youngman, who, you know, in addition to all the fantastic work that she does in the Food and Wine kitchens and in the magazine, she is also a certified meditation instructor who shares parting words with us at our weekly Monday meeting, and it just sets a really great tone for the week. So I want you to take great care of yourself until the next time, and take it away, Kelsey. Hello there. 
It's Kelsey, the Associate Food Editor at Food & Wine, and I am here with a mantra for the week. Don't worry, small. We're going to turn to some psychology studies this week for inspiration, ones about survivors and long lives and happiness. Because in study after study of those who've lived the longest and healthiest lives, even and especially through trauma and hardship, those people engaged in compassionate altruism. So essentially, they actively cared for other people. They took their worries outside of themselves and engaged in something larger. So this week, try taking action for someone else or something else. Worry bigger, maybe? (laughs) I hope you don't worry much at all, but try not to worry so small. And maybe live a little longer. Have a beautiful week.